Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, I don't care how old you are, if you have something nearby, you can grab a Bible like this, and we are turning to the book of Mark, right? So this is a New Testament gospel. It is the second one, Matthew, then Mark, right? So there are four accounts of the life of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in the second one, and we're actually in the very first chapter, so if you find your Bible app wherever you're heading, head to Mark chapter 1. I want to read through for you the scripture of the day. And I want you to stay with me because there's all kinds of details. Mark is the kind of writer where he doesn't mince words. He cuts to the chase. He wants to get all the details out in as quick a fashion as possible. Do you know this kind of person in your life? People who don't beat around the bush. They don't take a lot of time. They just go right to it. Mark is the shortest of the gospel writers, and he goes after it as quickly as he can. He doesn't have the elaborate storytelling of the early parts of Jesus' life. He goes right to when Jesus is an adult. And here is the Mark reading for today. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Sounds like a good time. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. This is the original non-paleo, paleo, keto diet, right? We're right there. And this was, ha- this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you read scripture, you don't know the timing of how long everything takes. And we don't know even the expanse of time between that sentence that I just ended with and this next one I'm about to read. We don't know how many days John was out there in the wilderness baptizing people. He could have been on a mission, and people got word. It became a very popular thing to go out and see John the Baptist as he was baptizing. And then verse 9 says this, And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I had this sermon locked up on Tuesday of this week. I knew this was the passage we would read today. And I had all the major thoughts. I knew exactly how I wanted to end things. This idea that in the baptism of Jesus, before Jesus has done anything, he hasn't healed anybody. There has been no blind man given his sight back. There has not been thousands and thousands of people miraculously given the provision of food on the hillside by Jesus. He hasn't walked on water yet. He hasn't come down off the cross. And I love this story because it speaks of the love that God has for his son before he does anything. So Jesus already has confidence in his standing before the Father before he does anything, which is a far cry from the world that you and I live in. So much of how we exist is based upon our action and our behavior. We learn this from the good, ripe age as toddlers. 
We b- reward good behavior, and yet we shy away from those moments you haven't done what you were supposed to do. I even hold things over my kid's head to this day until there is right behavior to be followed. Don't judge me. You do the same. You do it with your coworkers. You hold things back until they actually show up. You know, like the person who shows up late all the time should not get the donut, right? Like that's how it works in life. And we've been taught this in our classrooms. Teachers are really good at this. They will reinforce positive behavior therapy or technique, depending on how you use the T. Right? So when we come, a- come across this idea of God, And some of us are waking up to that. Some of us are just now giving him a chance. Or some of us have been walking with God for a while. And we wonder, is it the same way with him? Does he deal with me the same way? Or is there a chance that we already have standing before God even before we have done anything? And when we read this passage of scripture, you're like, yeah, 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 but we're not Jesus. I get it. We're not. But there's a sense that in God's creation of his people, He has already declared us to be what we are told in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that we're good. So the goodness of who you and I are is already a standing before God. The door to his house is always open. The seat at his table, to use a phrase that we use a lot around here, is always there. That's what I wanted to preach on Tuesday. But then Wednesday, crazy thing on Wednesday happened. You know what I'm talking about, epiphany. Exactly. What were you thinking about? Epiphany. This is the day that my tree, my Christmas tree, is out on the curb. All of the decorations have come down in the house slowly. I mean, there's a few mugs that we have forgotten about. Don't you hate that? You put everything away, and then you found those two things. You're like, dang it. Got to get back up into the rafters. Okay, so Wednesday. Epiphany begins this new season of the year. At Refuge, we read this thing called the lectionary. Sometimes it's familiar, sometimes it's not. Those of you who perhaps have a past history with churches that read the lectionary, it might be like, ah, dang it, that feels like sandpaper, very rough, and I don't like it. But the lectionary, it gives us a guide to walk through the life of Jesus in the early part of the year. And then when we get to the midway point, which is going to be like in the May-June time frame, it's called ordinary time. And ordinary time will peak in from time to time. But there are seasons of the Christian calendar. Right now, we are in the season of Epiphany. We just ended Christmas. That was on Tuesday. And on Wednesday of this week, we began this thing called Epiphany. Epiphany, this word that we don't really throw around a lot, but some of us have had them from time to time. It's like the moment when the light bulb goes on. You're like, yes, I remember. Or that's the thought I had. It's like when you get that correct answer on the math problem, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it now. The Epiphany goes off. You're like, yes. An epiphany will lead us for a little while till we get to the place of Lent, and Lent will precede Easter, and there's a season of Easter. It's not just one day. And then the season of Easter will end, and we get to a a, a day called Pentecost Sunday, and that will be a season for a while. And it's this idea that we don't want to miss out on the celebrations of the life of Jesus. And you're like, well, that's what the whole point of church is. You're right, but there's something powerful about reading the same scriptures that people all around the world are reading. My kids do this crazy thing where sometimes they want to log on and watch the same show as other friends at the same exact time. Have you ever heard of these things called like Netflix parties? I don't know if you've ever done these before. You've called up your friend like, hey, let's watch the same movie at the same time. It's crazy. Crazy how it works. The lectionary is the original version of a Netflix shared movie moment. All right? Because literally... There are thousands of churches and tens of thousands of Christians, if not more, 
who are reading this passage of Mark all around the world, perhaps in their own language, which I think is pretty cool, that we're not doing something different here in Orange that the entire kingdom of God is doing. So we're stepping into a stream, and some people are like, ah, you're just doing the traditional thing. Yeah, 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 whatever. But there's something about reading Scripture and seeing freshly, what is it that God wants to speak to me, our other pastors at Refuge, and ultimately to our community this week? Like I said, on Tuesday, I had this thing locked up. I felt so free going into Tuesday night. It's like, man, I don't know what could happen this week that would really change anything. And then Wednesday happened. It could be Epiphany, or it could be that other thing that we saw on TV. And you're like, what do I say on a church Sunday like that? Because politics is an interesting thing. I have been having political conversations since I was eight years old. No joke. 1988, I remember vividly. I was eight. I was not only smoking butt on, like, you know, Super Mario Brothers, which I still kick my son's butt at right now. It's really great. Like, you get the old console out, and I can take them. Every other game in life, I can't. But that one, I feel really good about. Eight years old, my parents, my dad was in the Navy. We moved to this brand new place to live. I was doing the neighborhood thing, getting to know some friends. You ever meet these neighbors nearby you, and you're like, oh, these are cool people. I should hang out. And I literally remember having a conversation because Ronald Reagan was going to be done being president, and there was a new flock of people who wanted to be. I didn't even know who was running on the Democratic side because I was told as a child, as eight years old, that if you want your dad to have a job in the Navy, then you will make sure that you vote a particular way. I was told that. So I'm sitting out with my friends on the neighborhood street. There's no adults in our conversation. And I have this memory. I'm not even sure I've shared this with anybody. But I remember us thinking like, I don't know. I mean, is he going to be as good as Reagan? Right? Like, what were you doing at eight? So I've had had conversations that revolve around politics for a long time. We get to a moment like Wednesday, and you're like, well, I wonder what it is that I can say on Sunday that A, won't get me in trouble, that B, someone won't text me that they're ticked off at me, or C, someone won't be like, you know what, Refuge? I'm done with that church. I didn't really like what you said. So just welcome yourself into my world right now. It's no longer the eight-year-old conversation where I get to wax poetic with my other eight-year-old friends. What do I get to say this week if I open up scripture? You're like, Brent, you should have just prayed, and we could have been done by now. But when I come across this passage of scripture, I feel like there is something that God still wants to say to us. So if you have your Bible still open, and I think the computer screen's whether you're watching online or you're here, will follow along with me. There's a few things to note. How about we do this? Let's walk back through it, if you will. Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why in the world is he in the wilderness? Well, John is a smart cookie. He dresses weird and he eats weird things, granted. But he knows what he's doing because he knows that for anything to happen that is life-changing and altering to anybody's life, you have to go to the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that the people of God had their first encounter with trusting him after they left the throes of slavery in Egypt. This is all throwback to the Old Testament. And I know you're like, oh, great, there's Brenton doing the Old Testament thing again. I get it. you got to go back to the Old Testament to understand what God is doing because it shows his faithfulness to his people. 
as he got them to the wilderness the first time and leads them out, they have to cross this thing called a body of water, and this term would be a river before they get to the promised land. I'm probably showing you the wrong way. It actually would be over here in the wilderness, and they cross this way into, like the Jordan River would be right here. They cross over into what's called the promised land, which is weird poetic language. I'll grant it. It's also known as the land flowing with milk and honey, and I literally thought it would be like what you see in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like Oompa Loompas walking around, and it would just be like honey everywhere but it's not what it is it just poetically understands that this is the place that you will no longer have to do what you've done in the wilderness i will be faithful to you when you cross into the promised land but before you get to the promised land you got to be in the wilderness wilderness over here and then you cross the jordan river so why is it that john's out in the wilderness because he knows that new life can happen if you recognize that you're far from god what does it mean to be far from God? Why is it that he would say, I want to talk about this thing called repentance. Repentance gets a really bad rap in our society. But we often will be like, you need to repent and turn from your sins. Have you ever seen the person on the street corner with the megaphone doing their thing? We've all had this moment. I've seen it happen. Some of you have been around those people with you and you're like, I don't even want to tell them that I'm a Christian because it just makes my skin crawl and my blood boil because that is not what we're out to do. I've taken my kids to an event and there are those Christians out there who are doing that thing where they are yelling at you and shaming you into this understanding of life with God. So why would John go out into the wilderness to speak of repentance? Because repentance for him, much like so many biblical authors, is not a place of shame. It's actually, hey, 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 you're going the wrong way. I just need you to repent and turn. Like turn to a new way of following God. Because you have been following God an old way that is not great. But let me give you a new understanding of who God is. This is what John is up to. When we say that John is the one who is preparing the way for Jesus, he is turning their attention to a new understanding that the Savior is coming. The one who is even the thongs of his sandals he cannot untie. That's what he's talking about. All right, let's keep walking. We got through verse 4, verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to it. To him. Now, is Mark using hyperbole? Did everybody go out there? Maybe there were a few people that stayed home, like bad people, but a lot of people went out there, and we knew it was a huge crowd. Why? Because John the Baptist is killed for it. Literally, if you keep reading the story, John the Baptist is going to be arrested, and Herod Antipas, who is a far worse understanding of his father, Herod the Great, and he sees what John is up to. And he ultimately will kill him because he wants to have um, some pleasure with this girl. Literally, that's how the story goes. And you're like, I missed that in the Bible. I know, it's here. Get it, it's a great book. A lot of people go out to see John and it messes with Herod Antipas, the ruler of the area. So much that he puts him in prison and ultimately kills him. So a lot of people are going out there. All right, let's keep reading again. John, uh, verse 6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Sounds weird. None of us are doing it. Like, I would love the preacher to be like, hey, if you want to be a good Christian, you should probably dress and eat like John. Because at least that would be a tangible. Like, let me go out and get the locusts. I love honey. I mean, with enough honey, I bet I could eat a locust. Have you ever thought about this? Or is it just me? Today's the day. Why in the world is he dressed like this? Why does he eat like this? Because he's doing something for the people that are there with him to remind them, 
Not only are they in the wilderness for the hope of getting to the promised land, but they are also hearing a prophetic voice that sounds like this prophet Elijah from the Old Testament. He shows up looking and sounding. Have you ever seen someone dress retro? And you're like, ah, oh, you're just trying to do something that was cool back in the 80s that we put on the sh- like in the closets a long time ago, but it looks cool. Good job. This is what he's doing. He is, I mean, he's doing something way better than the 80s. But he is calling people to a reminder of what the prophetic voice of God who has not left his people. And he will be with his people. All right. As we keep reading. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And again, I don't know the time between verse 8 and verse 9. Could have been some days, could have been even some weeks. But then at that time, in this season where John is out in the wilderness by the Jordan River, and at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, which is not a, like a really like well-known town. It's well known to us because of Jesus, but not at that time. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Question, did Jesus need to be baptized for the repentance of sins? You know where I'm going with this one. You're like, I just, maybe? Was he evil before this moment? We don't even have record of him doing anything except that moment when he was a 12-year-old and he ran away from his parents to go do some things, right? Right? So, like, is he trying to pay off the sins as a 12-year-old in this moment? What is he doing? Does Jesus need to have sins repented, to be forgiven, and to be baptized? No. I'm going to let that hang there for a second, and I'll come back to it. Verse 10, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Interesting phrase, heaven is being torn open. The thinness between heaven and earth is a little bit more real that day. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. I had a question yesterday in a book I was reading about this whole moment. Person like, what did that look like? Have you ever hung out with doves before? Anybody? Spirit descending on him like a dove. And if you look at imagery and artwork out there, it always looked like this really ethereal, peaceful moment where it's like, God. But sometimes, thank you. Sometimes doves are erratic, and sometimes birds like doves will dive bomb. Have you ever thought about this? Like, what was it like that day? We assume it was peaceful, but we think that's because it's like the spirit. You're like, ah, the spirit can't be as heavy as reality. But some theologians would say, actually, the weight of the spirit resting on Jesus is weightier than the reality of our lives. Like, oh, that's good. Right? Did a dive bomb onto Jesus that day. I mean, the, the heavens were torn open. Like, think about the imagery. Torn open, dive bombing. I don't know if that's going to mess you up today, the entire imagery of the Holy Spirit. But there's something powerful about a God who will rip the heavens open to place his spirit on his people and his son that day. Verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. Mm, that is so good. Again, I go back to this idea that before Jesus does anything, he has standing before the Father, which is something that you and I are welcomed into, by the way. We do not have to please God to earn his love. We do not have to pay him off to earn his love. We do not have to do X, Y, and Z so God will love me more. He will not love me more or less for the rest of my life. He loves me. 
that changes everything in terms of how I live. Could you imagine being able to walk through life with the confidence that God loves you? People have been pining for this for ages. Ages. We are trying to figure out what do I have to do to earn God's favor so that, like Christians in the past, we say things like, oh, so you get to go to heaven one day. But what was Jesus doing that day? Why in the world would he go to the wilderness? He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to be, have his sins repented of and forgiven. Why in the world would he get in the water and be baptized by John? Because he is being humble. Why does Jesus need humility? Not because he's been a pompous jerk. It's because he is doing exactly what the Father has shown him. Jesus showing up as a baby in Bethlehem, this thing that we celebrated a couple weeks ago, is God being humble. That's it. God does not have to come down and be a part of our lives, but he wants to. Everything about how God works, he wants to be with his people. You go back to the throes of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we get an imagery of a God who walks in the cool of the day with his people. He already owned the neighborhood before they got there. And there's this, there's this uh, Bible translator who will say that when Jesus shows up, it's like he's moving back into the neighborhood because God wants to be with his people, but he is humbling himself. And he is going to humble himself and do something to show people a way that if you are a follower of mine, baptism is a marker of that. So this is not the moment. Some churches in in our world today will actually make this a baptism Sunday. And we should have got a horse trough or something. We could have just made it happen today. But I want to put this challenge out for you. Those of you who have been baptized, do you remember why you made that decision? Perhaps you were guilted into it or you got caught up in the throes of the moment. You're like, yeah, everyone else is doing it. Must, I got to go do it. Why in the world do we choose baptism? Well, we could say, well, it's what Jesus did. Yes, that's good. We could also say, well, through water, there is a sense of life that happens all around us. We know that from the stories of Scripture. How does new life happen in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 when God puts everything to order in the world? He brings it through water. He separates the expanse of land from the waters. When he invites his people to find life from the wilderness, he crosses them through the river and the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea. The same is true when you get to the Jordan River and John is out there saying, walk through water with me to new life. So new life is before us. So what in the world can I possibly say about what's happened this week in our world and in our culture and in our country? that could possibly make sure that you don't get mad at me and we still feel good is because politics has been messing people up for some time. It has been messing us up for some time. And I want to put this idea out there before you. I learned this when I began having these conversations as an eight-year-old. We will pit ourselves on one side or the other based upon often how other people tell us to believe. Why people said to me as an eight-year-old, if you want your dad to have a job, you better vote for that guy. We all know who that guy was. But I have become increasingly, whether it's my 40-year-oldness that's about to turn 41 in a few weeks, it's just it's like, I, I don't want to just go through life and nominally give myself to God and his kingdom. I actually want to commit myself to his kingdom more than anything else. In the world that you and I live in, we are often told that you have to be one side or the other. Or you have been told, like I have been told, that God only votes one way. And I want to say that's not true. 
I also want to say that I've had experiences in my life have reminded me that God is about something else. Yesterday, I had drywall patchwork done in my house. Those of you who do this, you enjoy, you, you, if you see someone who do drywall work and they're good at it, they're amazing. Because we've seen bad drywall done before. You're like, I can see the line. I can see the tape. Bro, what did you do? Right? But this guy was good. His name's Jack. And the moment he showed up on my house, I'm like, you are not from here. Where are you from? I said, are you Irish? He's like, you're the first one who's ever called that out. Most people think I'm Scottish. Like he'd be offended by that. But his, his accent was beautiful. He's in my house for a few hours yesterday morning to do this drywall work because we had a, a water leak this, this week. It's awesome. So much fun. Water. Mm. But Jack's in there fixing the problems of my house, and he has an Irish accent, and I'm like, Jack, where in Ireland are you from? And he tells me, about uh, 40 minutes south of Dublin. He was born there, grew up, till he moved to America. I said, oh, man, I love your accent. I actually love your country. I've been there a few times. You have, right? And I'm not even going to pretend to do an Irish accent because you will shame me after this. That's what you will write the email about. You're like, don't ever do that again. I said, yeah, I, I, a, few, a number of years ago, I got a chance to lead some trips with people to Ireland, and we worked with a church in a place called Derry. And he's like, oh, Derry. They've had lots of problems. And I'm like, oh, I know. Yeah. What are their problems? Well, those of you who have an Irish love in your life, you're like, whether it's been your love of U2 or other music, you hear things that happen. If you are even a student of history, you know that the world of Ireland has not been easy. And in this city that I have hung out in multiple times, Sometimes with, with Rachel, even my daughter Aubrey has been there before, but I've hung out with some pastors and church leaders. There's one church in this city because they know that their city can go up in flames very quickly because of the divide. You have one side of people that are Catholic and one side of people that are Protestant. Literally, it is that how it's pitted against each other, and in the middle is this river. They have chosen sides. Do not cross the river if you're on the other side. So this church that I've worked with has hung out in the middle, positioned right on the edge of the river. And there's even the last few years a peace bridge that was built. How great is that? A peace bridge? Because they recognized that as people could walk from side to side, they might actually give each other a chance. But there's been a lot of death. There's been a lot of death in the past many decades. And they don't even know how to get along with one another. For them, it's not religious. Don't even pretend to think it's a Protestant and Catholic religious issue. It's actually a political issue. They will go to blows over how they see things, which is interesting. Wonder if that's what's happening in our world. Do people go to blows about what they believe? Of course they do. We all saw that this week. So what could I possibly say about the baptism of Jesus and the repentance of sins in the wilderness with John the Baptist and my friend Jack, the Irish drywall guy? Then when I consider the kingdom of God, when I consider how God is up to things, he actually presents a different way. This is the idea of repentance. And again, repentance is not shame of your sin. Let me make you feel bad about your life. Repentance is like, hey, let me turn you a little bit more towards where God is taking us. And in the life of Jesus, in his humility, he is presenting a different way. That we, in his stead, as his followers, 
we would bring the peace of the kingdom wherever we go. That is it. That is the way that I want to live. And it's not easy because I get inflamed. I get mad. I get really angry. Just You should go back to that conversation I was in as an eight-year-old. Get really mad about everything. You're like, I, you're telling me I got to vote one way. And I'm like, I don't even have the right to vote as an eight-year-old. But that's the world that we live in. We want to pit ourselves against each other. We want to fight like even the Irish Catholics and Protestants. Theirs goes back generations. And for us, seems like it's a new thing the past many years. But the kingdom is not new. And the kingdom that Jesus welcomes us into when he does his thing, when he talks, when he shows us a new way, he is saying, would you consider the peace of the kingdom to actually be your whole goal in life rather than choosing a side that will pit you against someone else in an angry, vitriolic, ugly way that does not show me to this world. Probably the, the harshest thing about Wednesday, what we all saw, is that people were assuming that Jesus needed to be on flag sticks and to be fought for in that way. And I just can't see it that way. When I open up God's word and I look at the life of Jesus, Jesus doesn't need me to do that for him to be known. And nor is the agenda of the kingdom going to be one like that. It's going to be one in a place of peace. So that's my challenge. If you're mad, let's talk about it. But if I chose to be baptized so many years ago, it's not because I wanted God to forgive my sins then. I want him to continue to forgive them. But I also want to remember that my baptism stands for something that I am welcomed into the way of the kingdom and the way of Jesus more than ever. If I follow in his footsteps, I want to bring him wherever I go with words of peace and actions of peace. May that be our challenge as a refuge community in this city that we are in, in this community, in this county, in this country where things are angry and ugly. May we bring the peace that passes understanding in the person of Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we need you. As that song that we sang a number of minutes, goes, minutes ago says, we look to you to give us a vision for clarity in this season. We need you now more than ever to continue to be who you are and how you have called us, and may we have the courage to step into that. God, we love this passage of Scripture because it tells us something about what you were up to so long ago through your servant, John, as well as your son, Jesus. So God, would you continue to challenge us to live into your kingdom in powerful ways, but not from places of power where we think they come from, but from places of power when humility and peace are on display. May we bring you wherever we go, not in a forceful, vengeful way, but may we bring you with the words that we use, the eyes that we have and in our actions slowly we'll see the world change much like they have been changing for a long time so give us courage god to trust you more this week with the things that we can control but more than that god with the things that we can't we want to trust you again and again and again 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. I want this last song to just be a contemplative, settling song for your soul as we head into this week. Our team is going to lead it. Lee is going to lead it vocally. And you're going to probably hear some song, moments in the song that sound very familiar. It's called It Is Well. And it also like, speaks of this idea that it is well even if I can't control it. That's even how the song, the original song, the original hymn was written so many years ago. In the midst of pain and loss and death, this song emerges. And I feel like we need that on a week like this as we head into this coming week. May we have an eyesight to see that in the midst of so much, it is well. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.